Welcome to Tidbits at TicketBud, where we talk with event organizers about their events and get advice on how you can grow your event and increase your audience. I'm Karen Amati, CEO of TicketBud, and today we have Abby, Abby Sandlin, VP of Marketing and Communications for Forefront Networks. They do some of the largest events in Austin, in the city of Austin, where we're located. And currently, as Abby is working on their upcoming event, Austin Ice Cream Festival, which is an annual event. This is the 12th? The 12th year. And tell us about Austin Ice Cream Festival. We, we've, we've had it before in the past. It's evolving. It's new this year. Tell us about it. Sure. So the Austin Ice Cream Festival, uh, we, as you said, we're in our 12th year. We like to call it our 12th scoop um, of ice cream. Uh, it started just for a fun, family-oriented festival that um, you know was appropriate to bring all ages to. And you guys special specialize in, in family-friendly, large-scale events, which has its own unique set of mm-hmm. challenges, its own unique set of marketing needs. Tell us about, this is your, your second or third year producing this event. This event's gone on for a while, but you guys are, are more recently involved with it. Yeah, we started producing it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the original producer who had started it just as a, a labor of love realized that if he wanted to keep growing the festival... Um, and it had grown in order to be able to really produce it effectively. He was going to need some outside help mm-hmm. um, and outside production. We came in really with a goal of streamlining the production so it wasn't, you know, it, it was a fully professional production that brought in all of the requirements for producing an event that would accommodate 10,000 people mm-hmm. in a city park, um, but also to try to develop a sustainable revenue model so that it could go on for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, hosting events is fun, but there's a, there's a business aspect to it as well that a lot of people, you know, once you kind of get to critical mass, you need to rethink your strategy. Yeah, you know, at, when you're producing an event for 10 years, you'd like to not only break even, but be able to get a little rainy day fund or enough in the bank to keep adding capital improvements and create new experiences. Yeah, I mean, sure. events that are going on year after year after year, you know, it's one thing to get customer loyalty. Um, but if you're going to retain those folks and give them reasons to come back year after year, you've co- got to constantly th- be thinking about how to invest in the in the new experiences. And Ice Cream Fest is coming up this summer, this June. It'll be this June 23rd in Fiesta Gardens. Um, we're real excited to be in a city park. That's another piece that we really specialize in. Um, it had been for many years in August. And August in Austin, uh, when it's 102 degrees, not only does the ice cream melt before you can get it to your mouth, but it is really hard on your production team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very hard on the production team. So you mentioned that it's in a city park. What are some of the challenges uh, for a large-scale community event working in a city and park environment? Sure. So you've got a lot more partners um, than if you're working with just a dedicated venue. I mean, we have we spend a, quite a bit of time working with all of the neighborhoods that surround the parks we operate in. We work closely with the Parks Department, with the City of Austin, with road closures, with other uh, organizers or people that also operate in those parks. Um, So it's a much more of a a coalition building to make it really successful Mm -hmm. um, and to remove any, any barriers or obstacles you might hit. So let's talk about Ice Cream Fest 2018. There's a lot going on, a lot of new options. You're kind of um, taking a hard look. How... What led to the decision to to update Austin Ice Cream Festival and talk to us about what you guys are doing this year to to make it more attractive or or expand the offering? Yeah. So it's always um, 
it has it has always come with ice cream. Typically, we there's anywhere that's from the brand, right? that's the brand. Yeah. Um, typically, anywhere from ten to twenty um, ice cream or frozen treat vendors who are they can be local Austin. Re- uh, frozen treat vendors, they can be regional or national, or they're providing samples. Mm-hmm. So as a ticket holder, you gain entry to this family fun festival with lots of activities, but you also get to sample these frozen treats. And this is what Austin Ice Cream Festival has been for the past 11 years. That's how everyone knows it. You go there, you sample. It's like any other kind of, you know, like a wing festival or a hot sauce festival. It's 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 all about that that food item, right? Exactly. But this year? This year, we're bringing in some extra fun. <laughs> Um, when we made a big decision this year to kind of split the event into two parts, mm-hmm. um, recognizing that we kind of had two distinct audiences that came last year. We had families who were there during the day with kids, you know, wanting to have fun, climb a rock wall, do some water pistol activities, let the kids run wild. Let the kids run wild. We had some fun music. We had ice cream eating contests, mm-hmm. um, including a hands-free, you know, ice cream sandwich eating all the way up to a half gallon of ice cream. Um, so we're staying with that during the day. And then we're going to take a little break, um, restock all of our ice cream makers for After Dark at Austin's Ice Cream Festival. That is going to also introduce a little bit more of an adult vibe where we have a headlining uh, music lineup that night. So it's, it is uh, everything you love about the Austin Ice Cream Festival and everything you might love about ice cream, but with some really fabulous music. So you have your daytime event, which is family-friendly, kid-centric, pause. Then you have an evening component that caters more to your young adult, adult audiences mm-hmm. with you know music that caters to that audience, stuff like that. Yeah. So... Yeah. How did you guys come to this decision? What did you guys look at? Was it previous history, data? How did you guys decide to, to, to make these updates and what informed that decision? Uh, a lot of, there's two pieces to it. One was the practical experience of last year. We started at 10 a.m. and we ended at 10 p.m. Um, and That's it a was lot. a long day. That's 12 it was, hours of ice cream. It was 12 hours of ice cream and 100 degree weather. Um, and so it kind of, just from our vendor standpoint, from our production team, it was a long day. Mm-hmm. Um, so practically, we knew if we wanted to take full advantage of this park, and it's not often that you get a park, um, a city park. So when you do, you want to maximize, maximize you know, yeah. what you're getting out of it. So in our effort to try to maximize that and recognize that our production team is made up of humans, um, and also looking at the data that we got from consumers last year, we saw that there was really two distinct, several distinct camps of folks that came through. On the one hand, we had loads of families with, with kids under eight. And on the other hand, we had a pretty high proportion of 25 to 40-year-olds, or actually 20 to 40-year-olds, that came without kids, and we're looking for a different experience. So you looked at and analyzed the demographic of last year's attendees and said, hey, we're leaving something on the table. Mm-hmm. And in conjunction with looking at the operations of having an event in the summertime and the production limitations and said, we think that we can reorganize this to better um, address our, our target audience. Absolutely. And and give more people an opportunity to come to what it was that they, you know, what they were looking for. So it's a whole new program this year. And as a marketer, when you, you have this brand, this, you know, it's in its 12th year, how do you get the word out about these updates? You know, is it ticket programming? Is it messaging? Is it advertising? What do you use? What are your tools that you use? And what are the challenges that you're facing 
when you're setting up your marketing efforts for this year to let people know, hey, it's it's a you know it's Festival 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, we use it all, um, and we have a plan for really each of our channels that we're going that we use, um, and we have ba- two two different sets of messages. I would I guess. Um, we are using, we have an email list from the year before of people who had attended, and we really are using email predominantly. We're able to segment that so we can send folks information that's pertinent to them about which event they're interested in. Mm-hmm. We rely heavily on our social media channels and our website to do the explanation of these two different pieces. Mm-hmm. So we start with a look and a feel in our email, and the look and the feel is directed to the two different audiences. So that's a, that's a brand, it's essentially. It's a brand to... Two, two different looks and feels, but they're integrated. We mm-hmm. spent a lot of time saying, how do we create this brand, but two different views mm-hmm. of it. Um, and then we're drawing people in based off of those views and really leveraging our social channels and our website for the deep explanation of it because mm-hmm. email is not going to be the best way to, to be able to describe the, the times and the changes. So your email campaigns that you're using is, hey, come take a look at what's new, mm-hmm. and then your social media pages, you're assuming you're using Facebook mm-hmm. and, and other social media, that goes into the deeper dive of what is different this year. Absolutely. And how, Absolutely. Do, you, how do you measure that success? How do you measure the results of that? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, we are working hard with, with the team at TicketBud to make sure we can track shout how out everything... Shout Shout out for TicketBud to make sure we can really track what the customer flow is mm-hmm. and be able to see how many clicks they're... Ne- folks are needing to take to really understand before they can actually get to the ticket page and convert. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also spending a lot of time on our ticket page, uh, really looking at the content and the copy that is there to distra- describe what's involved in those tickets. So mm-hmm. we're spending that, I would say, you know, we've got one team that's working on the look and the feel, and then we've got a copy group mm-hmm. that is looking at it really hard and in very detailed um, fashion. So it starts with design and mm-hmm. look and feel. You carry that design throughout all the channels and all the communication you use. Then you leverage that for a landing page that provides customer information or information about the event. And then that final piece is your ticketing page where you track the conversions Mm -hmm. to see, okay, how well is everything coming through the channels and the funnels, and how well are they converting and measuring that success. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things that we saw with our other event that, we worked with TicketBud on was the Trail of Lights. Um, and we made a, a shift about two years ago. It used to be we had three pages before somebody made it through to the ticketing page. And, um, ha- you know, we're noticing that we were kind of losing people. Uh, and the ability to consolidate a lot of that information that we learned from the Trail of Lights and how we sort of plugged that, plugged that hole, we've transferred over to the Ice Cream Festival. And we're seeing fewer clicks and getting more people to So convert. fewer steps, the better. Mm-hmm. Is that what, what advice would you give to, you know, a, a young event organizer that this might be their first or second year developing their property, developing their brand? What advice do you have for them to say that, that you've learned over the years or, or has become evident to you? What best practices do you think you would share? Um, not leaving, not assuming that a ticket buyer is going to make assumptions, being very, very deliberate in the copy and content that you use, um, and really thinking about the journey that they're going to take mm-hmm. from either receiving that email to what 
making sure that whatever page that email sends them to on the website is logical from that email and gives them the information that they need to go to the next step. And especially since you guys focus on family-friendly events, you need to provide information that a, a head of household buying tickets needs to know, like mm-hmm. parking, accessibility, arrival times, cost of a child ticket versus cost of an adult ticket. What kind of things there have you, have you learned over the years? Um, loaded question. <laughs> yeah, it's a loaded question. Having a fabulous FAQ page mm-hmm. um, that really helps. And, and write your FAQ page not based off of your, your lens as an event organizer because mm-hmm. the things that you're concerned about as an event organizer is not what a, co- a consumer is necessarily going to mm-hmm. look at. So work on putting your putting yourself in the shoes of a consumer and think, what kind of questions do I have mm-hmm. and how am I going to organize those questions Um and how many, how many FAQs do you think you typically put on? Are we talking 5 to 10 or 20 to 30? Oh, we're 20 to 30. Wow. Um, we're 20 to 30, but we really work because we're trying. And a lot of the times the answers to three questions are very similar, but understanding that people are coming at it from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And go get somebody who doesn't know anything about your event mm-hmm. at all to read them and go through it. Because um, that doing that you know, kind of user audit is going to show you where you're tripping up. So get someone from the outside, yeah. someone with fresh eyeballs, mm-hmm. say, take a look at this and get that fresh eye feedback. Yep. Because if you're the event organizer, you know you already have the answers in your head, so you're not thinking about these certain questions that might be glaringly obvious to someone from the outside. Yeah. I mean, every year we'll go down, we um, have some, there's a, an accounting team that is just in the office next door, and we'll go ask them to just click through and try to buy a ticket. Well, not everyone has a team of accountants no. next door to, to no, fully but, audit you. you know, <laughs> but, you know, and go find, go find a friend, go find a neighbor, go find somebody that really doesn't know anything about it. And then also spend a lot of time each year looking at the kinds of questions you do get in from people, where their pain points are, mm-hmm. and recognize learn from that um you know a lot of times you can get defensive and say it said it right there why aren't you reading but the fact is when you're dealing with over 10,000 people um or in the case of the trail of lights 400,000 people there's all different perspectives yeah Yeah. there's all different perspectives and and different types of people that are going to be trying to to make a purchase and so so uh listen to what they're saying so one thing i noticed is that you guys work with a lot of brand sponsors activations uh, in particular, for example, Austin Ice Cream Festival, uh, you guys are working with Yeti Coolers, mm-hmm. where if you buy a certain value-loaded ticket, uh, you as an attendee, you get a Yeti Rambler, uh, branded Austin Ice Cream Festival, some other cool things. A lot of our event organizers have reached out wanting to learn more about how do you structure or how do you reach out to these brand sponsors and, and what kind of um, uh what kind of measurements or what kind of ROI do these brands like to see? What do you what are you providing to them so that they are interested in working with you guys year and year again? Yeah, and so for every brand, it's going to be a little different and based off of what it is that they're trying to to achieve. So in the case of Yeti, which is you know hometown Austin hero, mm-hmm. having something that keeps ice cream real cold is a real obvious brand connection for them, and they're they're very so committed to what is happening in Austin and and the Austin community that we were really able, you know, able to find a way that puts their brand in people's directly in people's hands and shows the folks that are getting it that a local a local great story from Austin that's re- achieved such growth really does give back to the community. So you're leveraging your ability to put a product in one of your patrons' hands, one of your, you know, tens or 
or hundreds of thousands of patrons that you guys mm-hmm. have, you have the ability to, to, to physically put something, a product, in your consumer's hand, and you're leveraging that along with a specific need based off the event. In the case of ice cream, ice cream needs to be cold. Yeti makes coolers, right? Mm-hmm. And the third step is go local. Like, you, you're going to find that first partner, that first activation, you know, close to home. Mm-hmm. So if you're a brand, if you're if you're building a brand or if you're looking to, to, you know, grow your event and you're looking for sponsorships, what can you put in your consumer's hand? What ties into the theme or need of the festival and what's local? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's some, so Yeti wants to be able to show people in Austin that it, you know, cares about Austin and, and they're able to give this branded product. Um, there's some other companies that are looking at this from what kind of advertising exposure am I going to be able to get? So where where is my logo going to be placed on the sign and how do I know how many people are going to be able to see it? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to be in an email that's related and going to those folks? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about sponsorship and visibility vis-a-vis traditional logo placement on, mm-hmm. on billboards and banners versus digital. What do you see happening? Or do, do brands want the full you know, physical and digital presence? Are certain brands going for more, hey, I want to measure clicks and I want the digital, or more brands just, hey, I want to see community impact, I want my brand on the logo, on the on the banner? What, what, what kind of breakdown are you seeing? Um, again, it's going to go back and depend on what the brand is looking for. So there are some that are just looking for community engagement, and they love to know that their their brand is on, on a sign somewhere that somebody can see and say, hey, that company is part of Austin, and they're part of these great events. Other companies are saying, you know, hey, I want to sponsor this. It's part of my advertising budget. So help me understand how I can get measurement from this and be able to connect the dots on that investment resulted in, you know, this sales or brand loyalty Mm -hmm. or, you know, new email address. So the marketer at that brand might not understand your your measurement. So you have to really shepherd them and show... You know, these are the impressions that we get. These are the conversions that we get. These are the number of, um, you know, interactions you're going to see. Do you do you walk them through that? Is that something that you set an expectation of, or is that something after the event that you walk through? Mm, that is part of all of our proposal materials mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know, this is how many people we can, you know, how many impressions that unique impressions that we can deliver for you. Um, and it can be some folks are looking for just mass numbers of impressions. Some are saying, hey, I want that really niche audience that you have. So maybe it's to our VIP program, um, you know, because we know more maybe about that VIP program or we can position that brand in such a way that people are touching it more and it's in their hand. Mm. Um, but one thing I would say is we work really hard not to make any of our events a billboard for mm. somebody. We want to create that brand inter- interaction in a way that is a value add for our customer um, and gives them something gives them something of value in return. Well, that's the secret sauce, right? right. It's where the consumer wins, the brand partner wins, and the event wins, mm-hmm. and you create that kind of holy trinity of a three-way win to, to sort of lift the event experience itself. Absolutely, and that requires a lot. And we've been fortunate that we have some fabulous partners that really – know you know know what they're looking for understand what we can do as an event and we can collaborate on ways that make something better for our customer mm-hmm. you know HEB is a perfect example of that for mm-hmm. us they're 
not only the title sponsor of the Trail of Lights, but they're also the title sponsor, coincidentally, of the Austin Ice Cream Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, they appreciate how we as event producers position their brand and understand what it is that they're looking for. So they have a new gourmet flavor ice cream called Swoon that actually they introduced at last year's Austin Ice Cream Festival. And they understand that we're going to work with them very closely to say, how can we make sure that everybody walking through that door experiences Swoon? Mm -hmm. And it's phenomenal ice cream. So, of course, everybody, you know, it's better for the consumer. HEB gets to introduce this new product. And we as event organizers get to have this marquee brand kind of really demonstrating that this is all about Austin ice cream. Yeah. Well, Abby, thanks so much for talking Austin Ice Cream Fest and events and sponsor activation and everything else. Any parting wisdom? Uh, June 23rd, come scoop some ice cream with us. Abby Sandlin, Forefront Networks, Austin Ice Cream Festival. Thank you very much.